This morning, uh, we're going to wrap up our series that we've been on for the last few weeks entitled Game Changers. And uh, we really began four weeks ago talking about Jesus. We began talking about how that Jesus really changed the game, how he took us out from under an old covenant under the law, which was the Bible says is the law of sin and death, and he brought us into a new covenant, which brings the grace and truth that Jesus Christ gives us into our lives so we could be empowered to live the life that God has called us to live. So we've spent the first two weeks really talking about the contradiction between the old covenant and the new covenant and what we have received in Jesus Christ. If you've not listened to that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Those are really probably some of the most foundational teachings that we've done, really just understanding the transition from an old covenant under the law into a new covenant under the grace and truth of Jesus Christ and how that transition really does change everything. It changes how we approach God. It changes how we worship. It changes how we pray. It changes how we serve. It changes everything when it comes to Christianity. And the challenge that I see in many modern-day Christians is that we kind of want to mix the old. We mix the Old Testament law and the New Testament grace into this reality that really defiles what Jesus Christ intended to do because you can't mix the two. Jesus fulfilled the old so he could usher in something that was brand new. He didn't do away with. He just brought to completion what was established through the law of Moses so he could usher us into a new way of living life under a new covenant. That's what we call the New Testament. Literally, a new covenant with God that has been established for all mankind so that whosoever, the Bible says, would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's some pretty good news. Amen? And so I hope you have, if you have not listened to that, I want to encourage you to go back and check that out on the app or YouTube or wherever you kind of get all that social media stuff. Uh, last week, we kind of turned a corner a little bit. Last week, we took a shift and we said, based on what Jesus has done through a new covenant, now we have been called to live a brand new life. So look at that first point uh, on your outline this morning or on the screen with us today. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, we can now walk out the game-changing realities of the new covenant in our daily lives. The new covenant literally gives us a new Life. And that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. How do we live out this new life because of what Jesus has done? How does that affect how we are now living our lives? Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 10 through 17. And this is where we're going to kind of hang out for the day. The Bible says this, the Apostle Paul is actually speaking here. He says, put on your new nature. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Put on your new nature. I want to stop, stop and talk about that again. I want to remind you of what I said last week. When Paul encourages us to put on our new nature, he's not talking about behavioral modification. He's not talking about you need to change the way you live your life. No, what Paul is talking about is that we've actually been given something. When you got born again, you were born again into the kingdom of God. You were born into this new covenant with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And now the Bible says that you have become a partaker in the divine nature of God. So when Paul talks about putting on this new nature, it's not behavior modification. It's the heart transformation that has already happened. So what Paul is encouraging us to do is not to reach out 
but to reach in and draw out what God has already put into our lives. Now, how many ladies in the room kind of like to go shopping? Any ladies that enjoy shopping? Raise your hand. There we go. All right. I like to see honesty in the house of the Lord. So, uh, so that's a good thing. So let me tell you, ladies, what, what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying you need to go to the mall and get a new wardrobe. Paul is saying a new wardrobe has already been purchased for you and it's in your closet. And now you just got to put it on. So you don't need something from out there to come in here. You need to take what God has put in here and bring it out here. Now let me just tell you a little funny story. I heard this illustration years ago. It stuck with me. A gentleman made this statement. He said, you know the difference between men and women? Y'all know it's a pretty big difference, right? How many of y'all know that? How many know we're different? Come on, get an amen for somebody. We're a little bit different. So when a, when a woman says, I have nothing to wear, guys, have you ever seen your wife go over to the closet and look at a full closet? I mean, that thing, you can't even get a slide to curtain to put the thing in there, so full. And she's like, I don't have anything to wear to church today. Y'all ladies know what I'm talking about? You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever seen your wife do that? I don't have anything to wear to church. When a woman says, I don't have anything to wear, what she means is, I don't have anything new. <laughs> I don't have anything new to wear. When a guy says, I don't have anything to wear, right? When a guy says, I don't have anything to wear, what he means is, I don't have anything clean. And he's picking up stuff and he's smelling it. Yeah, I can't wear that today. Big difference. We're a little bit different, right? Well, here's the good news. We have a new nature. And we have been given a new wardrobe in Christ. And you don't have to go and get it. It has already been given to you. And I hope you grab hold of that because it's about drawing out, not reaching for. I meet so many Christians that are trying to reach out here and grab something. They're trying to get God to do something in their life. But the realization is God's already done something. Come on, somebody. And not only has He already done something, He has made a divine deposit in your life. He has filled your closet with a brand new wardrobe. And all we have to do is be willing to clothe ourselves. We've got to draw out what God has already put into our lives. Amen? So, let's look at that next verse, verse 11. Paul says this. He says, so in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. It doesn't matter if you're barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. So it doesn't matter your, your, your natural genealogy. It doesn't matter your social standing. It doesn't matter your educational status. None of that matters. Look what he says. He says, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. In verse 12, he says, since God chose you, me and you, to be the holy people. Right? We just read that in Hebrews 10 this morning. He chose to make us holy. He set us apart through the sacrifice of his son. God chose you to be the holy people he loves. You must clothe yourself. Again, we're drawing out of the wardrobe of Christ. We're drawing out of that divine nature. I'm going to put on what God has already divinely deposited in my heart. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. And we talked about all five of those things and how each of those things are game changers when we begin to just put on that new nature that we have in Christ. It is a lie of the enemy for you to say, I'm not patient. That's your old man. Your new man is patient. It's a lie of the enemy for you to say, I'm not humble. That's your old nature. Your new nature has humility. It's a lie of the enemy to say, I just don't have mercy and compassion for people. That's your old nature. Your new nature has been renewed in Christ Jesus, and you have a tender-hearted mercy that goes toward other people. Well, Pastor Keith, I'm not just that kind. I'm not really kind and caring. That's your old nature. Your new nature 
has the kindness of Christ wrapped up in your heart and deposited in your life. So look at verse 13. He says, so make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourself. Here we go. He's clothing ourselves. Clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as, a, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. And let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives you, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So today we're going to dissect those last few verses, 13 through 17, and we're going to talk continually about what does it mean. Four specific things I want us to look at today that we need to continue to put on as we clothe ourselves in that new nature that is in Christ. Look at that first point, forgiveness. How many know forgiveness is a game changer? And we forgive, listen to this, forgiveness is a game changer. We forgive others because God forgives us. Colossians 3.13, we just read it. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgives you, so you must forgive others. Forgiveness is a game changer. We forgive others because God forgives us. All of a sudden, we begin to put on forgiveness. Let me tell you what forgiveness is. Forgiveness in God is unconditional. How many are thankful that there's unconditional forgiveness with Jesus Christ? How many thankful that the Bible says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness? How many are thankful today that when you go to God and ask for forgiveness, God never says, well, let me think about it. God never says, well, let me evaluate your life. You know, this is the third time this week you've asked for forgiveness over the same thing. I'm not really sure if I want to forgive you. You know, we've walked around this mountain key several times, and I'm not even sure if you even really understand what you're doing. It don't even seem like you're sorry or repentant, so I don't know if I'm going to forgive you or not. How many are thankful God doesn't do that? How many are so thankful that when you come to the Lord and you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness? He doesn't judge us. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't hold accusation over our head. Willingly, graciously, unconditionally, God forgives us. And because God forgives us, we can forgive others. I can show unconditional forgiveness to other people because God has shown unconditional forgiveness to me. Let me just tell you something. Kelly and I decided a long time ago, we got to decide in advance we're going to forgive people. That regardless of what happens, we're not going to hold on to it. Regardless of what happens, we're not going to hold on to that offense, to that hurt, to that pain, to that stuff that's happened in our life. Why? Because it destroys and devours your life. And so the Bible says we forgive others. I can put on forgiveness because God has forgiven me. And God doesn't forgive me because I deserve it. God forgives me because Jesus paid for my forgiveness. And I don't forgive others because they deserve it. I forgive them because Jesus paid for their forgiveness. And that doesn't mean you let people treat you like whatever and it doesn't mean you let them walk all over you and it doesn't mean you stay in unhealthy ungodly relationships but it means you refuse to hold on to the hurt and the pain because God refuses to hold on to yours see we're thankful God forgives us based on the sacrifice of Jesus but when it comes to forgiving other people 
we somehow think they ought to deserve it. Let me tell you the realization today. They can never deserve it. Nor do you. We are forgiven not because we've earned forgiveness, but because Jesus paid the price so that we could be forgiven. And forgiveness is a game changer because, look at that next little part of that statement. It's a game changer because forgiveness frees us from the bitterness of life. And the Holy Spirit said something to me that really is, is I'm just, if you don't hear anything else I say, listen to this one statement. This is worth you being here this morning. He said, Keith, he said, people are not bitter because they've been hurt. He said, people aren't bitter because they've been hurt. People aren't bitter because they've suffered traumatic events and they've been abused or neglected or rejected. People aren't bitter because they have been hurt. He said, people become bitter because they refuse to forgive the person that hurt them. Bitterness is not the result of your pain. Bitterness is the result of refusing to forgive the person that caused you the pain. That's why you're bitter. That's why you're resentful. That's why you're angry. That's why you're mad. That's why you hate the world. That's why you can't enjoy the people that you do love because you're being poisoned by the sin of people that you don't even like. And all of a sudden we recognize something. When I put on forgiveness, when I put on forgiveness, it frees me from that bitterness. It frees me. Remember, forgiveness doesn't free them. Forgiveness frees you. When you forgive, you're not letting them off the hook. When you forgive, you're letting yourself off the hook. They're still accountable to God. They're still going to stand before the Lord. They're still going to have to answer for the choices and decisions that they made. But the moment you forgive, you don't let them off the hook. You get off the hook. It frees you from the bitterness and resentment that robs you of the joy of living your life today. When you hate people. When you're angry with people, when you have bitterness and resentment in your heart toward other people, and I can't even use those words without clenching my fist. <laughs> because that's what happens, right? This is what your insides looks like. You're all wadded up, you're stressed up, you're tore up, you're tense, you're, 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 you're full of anxiety and bitterness and resentment and hate. And the only way to be free, let me give you a revelation today. Jesus taught us, when he taught us the Lord's Prayer, he said, Father, forgive us our debts. Y'all remember that, King James? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Unique words, but it's good words. We understand debt. So when you have unforgiveness in your heart toward another person, you're trying to collect a debt from them. They owe you. They hurt you. And they owe you. And now I'm going to collect a debt that they owe to me. But here's the revelation today. They can never pay you what they owe you. And let me tell you why. The person that hurts you can't fix you. The person that hurts you can't fix you. The person that hurts you can't heal you. And that person, no matter how repentant they are, listen to me, no matter how repentant they are, I mean, they can do a 180. They can genuinely 100% change. They can repent to you in tears and sorrows. But that person can never undo what they did, no matter how bad they want to. I mean, let's be honest, all of us probably have some sin in our life that we wish we could go back and undo the things that we did to hurt the people we love. 
But you know what? No matter how bad you want to do it, you can't undo it. There's not enough tears. There's not enough I'm sorry's. There's not enough please forgive me's in the world to undo the hurt that was done. They can't pay the debt. And if you try to collect on a debt that they can't pay, you're going to spend the rest of your life being miserable. You've heard me say it a hundred times. Having unforgiveness in your heart is like drinking poison and wishing the other person would die. But they don't die. You do. And the only way to get set free from the bitterness and resentment and rage in your heart is to forgive. Lord, I choose to forgive because Christ forgave me. I'm going to put on forgiveness because I have freely and unconditionally been forgiven by God. And I'm going to give that same forgiveness to other people. And you talk about freedom. And you talk about liberty. And you talk about the ability to begin to move forward in your life. Forgiveness is hands down one of the greatest game-changing realities that we have in Christ. Because how many of you know the world doesn't forgive? Forgiveness is a divine nature. The world hates people. The world gets even with people. The world holds grudges against people. The world will spend years planning how they're going to get back to the person that got something over on them. And when you look at the world, they're miserable. And they're miserable because they're holding on to something that can only destroy their lives. And when we forgive, we get free. Put on forgiveness. Why? Not because they deserve it, but because you need to be set free. Amen? And forgiveness is the only way you can be free. But not only does forgiveness free you from bitterness. I want you to look at the rest of that statement. This is so good. Forgiveness also empowers us to have lasting, life-giving relationships. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter asks Jesus a question. He says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And then he says, seven times. Peter thought he's been really spiritual. He thought he's going to get a pat on the back. That a boy, Peter, you're really doing good. I'm so proud of you. But Jesus said, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus saying that we need to count the times people sin against us and when they get to 490, we no longer forgive them? Jesus was being sarcastic. <laughs> Get a clue, Peter. You can stop forgiving others when you want God to stop forgiving you. So when you hit your limit with God, then you can set a limit with other people. But until you need the forgiveness that comes from God, then you cannot set a limit on the forgiveness you give to other people. Let me tell you how important forgiveness is. It's so important. It's the key to lasting, life-giving relationships. How many, how many married people in the house? Any married folks in the house? Awesome. If you're married online, won't you type that in the chat box? I'm married. If you remember how long you've been married, you could put that in there too. That'd be neat. All the married people, one more time, raise your hands. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would still be married today if you stopped forgiving after seven times? What about 490 times? What about 1,685 times? The realization is you would not still be married today if you ever stopped forgiving. Why? Because forgiveness is the ingredient that is required for lasting, life-giving relationships. Why? Because we've all sinned and we all come short of the glory of God. 
And the realization is you'll never have a lasting marriage. You'll never have lasting friendships. How many of you know parents and children relationships, right? Just as a parent-child relationship. Parents have to forgive their kids. Kids have to forgive their parents. And the realization is you'll never have a lasting, life-giving relationship with anyone without forgiveness. Now, again, that doesn't mean you let people take advantage of you, and that doesn't mean you continue in ungodly, healthy relationships, but it means that you recognize something at the, at the root, at the core of every healthy relationship is forgiveness. It's foundation. And without it, no relationship you have will last. If you don't walk in forgiveness with your best friend, it won't be very long and you won't have a best friend. Because forgiveness is key. Amen? Look at that next point. <clears throat> Not only is forgiveness a game changer, he says let's clothe ourselves with love. Right? Love is a game changer. It binds us together. Love connects us to community and enables us to experience life at its highest level. If forgiveness keeps us from falling apart, it's the love of God that binds our hearts together. It binds us together. It keeps us coming back. It keeps us connecting. It keeps us vulnerable. It keeps us honest. It keeps us open. It keeps us being willing to be authentic and genuine and real with other people. How many of you thankful today that the love of God is an unconditional love? God's already decided in advance He's going to love you. Hell is filled with people that God loves. God loves you, period. <laughs> and when you decide, I'm going to put on love, well, you know what you're doing? You're making a predetermined decision that I'm going to love people no matter how they treat me. I'm going to treat other people with love and respect. I'm going to treat other people the way I want to be treated, regardless of how they treat me. Again, I'm not saying stay in unhealthy, ungodly relationships. Sometimes you need to say goodbye. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, in every relationship that you have, even the healthy, godly ones, <laughs> you're going to have to put on love. To stay connected, to stay engaged, to stay together, you're going to have to put on love. Marriages, you're going to have to put on love. Mom and dad toward the kids, kids toward the parents, you're going to have to put on love. you got to choose it. Three things the Holy Spirit spoke to me just this morning. He said, Keith, he said, the love of God is unconditional. It's not based on your performance. It's based on who he is. He said, the love of God is sacrificial. When we put on love, you put on sacrificial love. Let me just tell you, what the world calls love is not love. It's lust. See, the world says really spiritual stuff like this or really profound things like this. You ever heard a couple say, man, I want to marry you and spend the rest of my life with you because you make me feel so good. Did y'all catch that? I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you because you make me feels so good. So what happens when you stop making me feel good? That's lust. Lust says I want to be with you because of what you sacrifice for me. Love says I want to spend the rest of my life sacrificing so I can show my love for you. I want to spend the rest of my life making you feel good. And when you do that, it changes everything. That's the difference between love and lust. That's the difference between what happens between uh, the glue that binds us together 
or the lust that sabotages our relationships so that they are really never able to last a long time because I'm just in it for what you can do for me, but when I'm in it for what I can do for you and I love you and I'm going to spend the rest of my life making you feel good about you and what happens if Kelly does that to me and I do that to her? Well, we have a wonderful marriage. And when we get selfish and self-centered, it creates tension, it creates strife, it creates frustration in our marriage and our relationships. And we want to throw our hands up and we want to walk away because this ain't any fun anymore. And then the tendency to draw away. See, love keeps us connected to community. The realization is simply this. Isolation and separation is selfishness. If you live in isolation and separation, if you live disconnected from community, let me tell you something, that is selfishness. Let me show it to you. The reason we live isolated and separated is because I don't want to be hurt by you anymore. So what do I do? I pull away. That's not love. Love is not selfish. Love is not isolation and separation. Love is the glue that binds us together. Love is the thing that drives me back into that relationship. It drives me to be open again. It drives me to be honest again. It drives me to be vulnerable again. It causes me to put myself back out there again. Kelly and I have been married for 31 years. Another 31 years we may get it figured out. Probably not. But it's love that keeps us coming back together. It's love that keeps you connected to the church. It's love that keeps you connected to your friends. It's love that keeps you from becoming an isolated individual that shakes its fist at the world. And I don't need anybody. Selfishness. I'm afraid I'm going to be hurt. And that's why I shake my fist at the world. I'm not brave. I'm not courageous. I'm afraid. And perfect love, hear me, casts out all fear. It's the perfect love of God in my heart that gives me the courage to put myself back out there again. I'm just going to tell you something. Mother Teresa said it like this. She says, love equals pain. Well, to put that on a greeting card. <laughs> Valentine's, Day. well, that's next year. we got a long ways away. I'll make a great Valentine's card. You just keep hurting me. I'm going to stay connected. I'm going to shut up. Move on. Praise the Lord. Y'all with me? Everybody good? Y'all got it? Let's look at that next point. Peace. Peace is a game changer. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Peace is a game changer. It changes the way we make decisions. It changes the way we interact with other people. God's peace literally umpires our soul and governs our relationships. When I put on peace, John 14, 27, Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Man, I'm giving you my peace, Jesus said. We have peace. And when we put on the peace of God, the peace of God the Paul said, let it rule in your heart. That word rule literally is interpreted in the Greek to umpire your soul. 
we got a church softball league, and I'm playing softball for the first time ever, and it's pretty ugly. <laughs> but we're having a lot of fun. And we got an umpire, right? And he calls it ball and strike and fair and foul. You're safe. You're out. Well, guess what? You've got a Holy Ghost umpire called the peace of God. And if you'll put on peace and you'll let the peace of God umpire your soul, it'll affect the decisions you make. Let me prove it to you in the negative because sometimes we can connect with the negative quicker than we can with the positive. Have you ever, have you ever made a decision where on the outside everything looked right, but inside you didn't have peace? And you did it anyway. And it always blows up. <laughs> and it never works out. And it never accomplishes the things you thought it was going to accomplish. It looked good on the outside, but on the inside, you did not have peace. What is that? That's the umpire of your soul. That's the peace of God trying to call the shots in your life and say, this is a good decision or a bad decision. The truth is, is actually true on the other side of the coin. Sometimes... Two plus two don't always equal four, but you feel like this is the direction God wants you to take. And you have a peace about doing something that sometimes in the flesh looks really scary and intimidating. But when you step out following the peace of God, guess what happens? It's amazing. God has a way of making it work. He parts the Red Sea. He rains down the manna. He does whatever he has to do to meet the need in your life. Why? Because peace is a game changer. And I've got to put it on. I've got to put on that peace of God. I've got to be mindful and conscious of the peace that God has given me. And if I'll just begin to put on that peace and let it govern my soul and the decisions that I make, it will be amazing how much better my decision-making process will be. And not only does it affect our decisions, but it also affects, look at that last part, it affects how we interact with other people. It governs our relationships. Matthew 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. I love Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. How many of the world's full of troublemakers? We need some peacemakers. And when you put on the peace of God, what are you doing? You're putting on a peacemaking mentality. And peacemaking doesn't mean I have to always agree with you. And it doesn't mean I always have to do what you want to do. It just simply means I can walk in peace. I can disagree and not disintegrate the relationship. I was talking with a, a young man not a long time not long ago, and, and he said, uh, he said, Well, Pastor Keith, he said, I feel like you don't listen to me. And I said, No, it's not that I don't listen to you. I said, I don't agree with you. Your thinking's wrong. And the way you're processing the information that you're processing and the conclusion that you're coming to is not biblical and it's not true and it won't work. I hear what you say you want to do. I'm just telling you it's the wrong decision to make. And how many of you know you can have those conversations and you can disagree and disintegrate that relationship, but I can tell you right now, I still have a good relationship with that young man and he still comes to me for insight and instruction. I wish I could say he always listen to me, but he don't. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers to recognize I don't have to agree with you, but I can still walk at peace with you. John Maxwell calls it the 101% rule. Find the one thing you agree on and give 100% of your energy to that one thing. I hear people say, well, you know, I'm just being the devil's advocate. Well, he don't need one. Why don't you be God's advocate? Why don't you be an advocate of peace? Peace. 
Why don't you do everything within your power to live at peace with all people? Well, they're not living at peace with me. That's okay. Do your part. And if you'll put on peace, you know, the Bible says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called, identified as the sons and daughters of God. You want to set yourself apart as a person who bears the image and likeness of Jesus Christ? Then begin to walk in peace. Instead of stirring things up, why don't you bring peace to the circumstance? And you can do that every day by just putting on the peace of God. See, when you're at peace, you don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't even have to argue. You can actually have, we call them in our house, adult conversations. And you can walk out on the other side still loving each other. Still working together, even though we don't always agree. Amen? Put on peace. Thankfulness. Colossians 3.15 says, and always be thankful. Colossians 3.16 says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Verse 17 says, and whatever you do or whatever you say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Thankfulness is a game changer. It changes your perception. It changes your perception. When you start giving thanks, in everything give thanks. You don't have to give thanks for everything, but you give thanks in everything, in every season, in every situation, in the good times and the bad times, in the difficult times and in the wonderful times, on the mountaintop and in the valley. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. What does Thanksgiving do? Thanksgiving changes the game because it changes my perception. When I go from focusing on my problem. To focusing on my God who solves every problem. I go from focusing on my pain to focusing on my healer. From focusing on the strife to focusing on the burden bearer. And all of a sudden it changes my perception. Let me tell you what I know about perception. If you focus on the one thing you don't like about your marriage, you'll be miserable in your marriage. If you focus on the one thing you don't like about your relationship with a person, you'll be miserable in that relationship with that person. If you focus on the one thing you don't like about your job, you'll hate your job. If you focus on the one thing you don't like about your church, you'll hate your church. If you focus on the one thing you don't like about the government, you'll hate the government. If you focus on one thing you don't like about anything, and you will not like that one thing, whatever it is. Your perception has the power to spoil your life, sour it, and fill it with grief and pain, or it has the power to elevate you to a place where you begin to see that there is a God who reigns above every pain, above every problem, and above every challenge that I face. And when I give thanks, it just raises my perception. All of a sudden, I begin to see God as reigning over my life. And not only does it change my perception, but it also, look at that last part of that statement, it also fills my mouth with praise. You start in everything, give thanks. God, I want to thank you for this opportunity to grow. God, I want to thank you that you'll never leave me and you'll never forsake me. God, I want to thank you, Lord, that you're strengthening me, that the trying of my faith is working patience. God, I want to thank you that you've called me to be the head, not to tell, the top, not the bottom, the first, and not the last. God, I just want to thank you that no weapon formed against me will prosper. And every tongue that rises against me in judgment, you will condemn. And I will rise up in strength and power because you're for me and you're not against me. God, I just want to thank you that I know how to have nothing and I know how to have a lot and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God, I just want to thank you. 
And when you start thanking God in the midst of every circumstance of your life, it fills your mouth with praise. And the Bible says this, God inhabits the praises of his people. Not only does your perception change, but now the manifestation of his presence changes because God shows up. And all of a sudden you start sensing the reality that God is with you and you're not alone. Amen? There's power in thanksgiving. Look at that last point. Jesus died to give us a new covenant, a new nature, and a new life. Jesus did his part. Now let's do ours. Let's clothe ourselves daily with our new nature. Philippians 2 verse 12 and 13, awesome scripture. The Apostle Paul again says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Look what he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out. He doesn't say work for your salvation. He says work it out. We've got to work out what God's put in. God's put it in us. Now we've got to work out this salvation. And then look what he says in that next part of that verse, verse 13. He says, for God is working where? In you. God's working in you. God's working in your heart. God's working in your heart. God's working in your heart. God's working in my heart. God's working in you. And look what God is doing while he's working in us. Look at the work he's doing. He is giving us, the Bible says, the desire and the power. The desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is working in us, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. All I have to do is just put on my new nature. I just got to work out what God has put in me because he's given me a desire and he's given me the power to do the things that please him. Let me just say it like this in closing today. You are well able to live the life God's called you to live. You're well able. You've got everything you need to live the life God has called you to live. If you're born again and Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, then you're not shortchanged. You're fully equipped. And all we got to do is put on what Jesus has already put in us by faith in what he's done for us and knowing that we're not alone. Amen. Let's just bow our heads together today. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Keith, I know I'm a child of God. You're watching online and you know you're a Christian. But maybe you recognize some things today. Maybe you recognize some areas in your life where you've not been putting on that new nature. Maybe you've been making excuses for it. Well, I'm not just that loving. I really just don't walk in peace. and I'm not really a thankful person. You know, I just tend to see the negative side of things. Stop making excuses. That's who you were. That's not who you are. You have a new nature. You have a whole new wardrobe. He's purchased and paid for it through the blood of his son, Jesus. He's filled your closet with everything you need to clothe yourself in Christ. And so I want to just challenge you right now as a Christian, if you're here today and you're watching online, just to begin right now by faith, say, God, I confess my sin and I ask you right now to just help me to put on that new nature. Maybe there's some specific things we talked about today. Maybe there's some specific things we talked about last week. Maybe there's something specific the Holy Spirit's just shown you for your life that you need to put on that very nature of Christ, the forgiveness, the peace, the love, the thankfulness. Just put on that new Right now, consciously, in your heart and in your mind, with the Lord, Father, by faith, God, I just put it on. And today, God, I make a decision. I make a commitment. I'm going to put these, I'm going to put on my new nature every single day. I'm going to make a conscious effort to clothe myself, not in the old nature, but, Lord, in that new nature. 
And maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online and you realize, Pastor Keith, I don't have a new nature. I've never been saved. I've never been what Jesus called born again. I've never had my heart changed. You're talking about this, this heart transformation that's happened. Lord, I, I, Pastor Keith, I've never experienced that. And today I want to. Today I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I, I want to receive that new nature. I realize I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is the only Savior, the only hope. And today I'm willing to put my faith in Him and receive the gift of eternal life and the new nature that He has promised to give to those who would believe in Him. And I want to submit my life and follow Him from this day forward. If that's you, you're here in person, you're watching online, just raise your hand. Just simple act of faith today. I want to pray and accept Christ. I want to be born again. I want that new nature. If you're watching online, just hit that hand emoji, type in the chat box. I'm raising my hand. As hands are starting to go up right now, I want you right now just to, just to lift your hand high. Just to lift your hand high. As you lift your hand, our ushers are going to come. They're going to slip a little packet in your hand, and we're about to pray together. We just want to put something for you to take home. We want to take the next step with you this morning. But if you're here this morning, you say, Today, Pastor Keith, I want to be born again. I want to give Jesus complete authority and lordship over my life. And I realize I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And there's no hope for me apart from Him. Today, I want to be born again. I want to give you about five more seconds, and we're going to pray. If that's you, just slip your hand. Just slip your hand up high. Today I want to be born again. I'm going to ask everybody here just to pray this prayer with me. Let's pray it out loud, all of us together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Rose again on the third day. I confess I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, I receive the gift of eternal life and the new nature you have promised to those who believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today.